you stand with me and uh, take your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. And this is an aspect of our worship where we hear directly from God. Uh, his word is his spoken word to us. And we're going to read Hosea 14, 1 through 9. Hosea 14, 1 through 9. And if you need a pew Bible, page 516 in your pew Bible. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all in iniquity, receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the works of our hands, you are our gods. For in you the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like the vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, the righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Would you pray with me? Father, we uh, are thankful for your word that we can live in a country and be able to own multiple copies in multiple formats, but through it all, it's you speaking to us. And so we're thankful that you're a God with uh, relentless love for us, and yet you have a holiness and a justice. And Lord, we are in need of the cross of Christ. And so we are thankful that all of this is possible through Jesus. We pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word as it's preached to us by our pastor. And may we not just listen, but may we submit ourselves to what we are about to hear and commit right now as a congregation to obey whatever it is that you say from your word by your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we can say this. Amen. Well, today we are concluding our November worship series that we've been in for the last few weeks, a series we've been calling Grace for Getting Back in the Race from this prophet Hosea that Pastor Chris read from us. As we uh, conclude this series this morning, let me begin with a, with a question. How many of you have ever suffered or you've experienced some type of sports injury, uh, whether playing basketball, uh, maybe running, uh, whatever the case may be, you know, in fact, it may be a minor injury such as a, a sprained ankle, uh, even a... Uh, you know, a pulled hamstring of sorts, or maybe you've suffered an even um, a major uh, injury that required surgery and even rehabilitation and therapy that followed afterwards. I, I can still kind of remember uh, back in my 20s when I uh, tore my ACL 
playing basketball and the surgery and nine months of rehab that followed after that. And I'm sure there's some here who have endured even major uh, injuries of, of some sort. Advances in sports medicine and medical technology, though, have, uh, have given serious athletes a set of advantages few could have imagined even 20 years ago through preventative approaches, uh, improved sports equipment, and just a better understanding of exercise and competition. Sports medicine helps athletes to, to play smarter, play harder, and even run faster, run longer. But what it has not done is eliminate injuries. No matter the level of technology, no matter the level of wisdom or cure, everyone who regularly straps on the latest foot gear to get back out on the field or get back out on the track or the course will eventually need some type of medical attention. The problem may be as simple as a sprained ankle or even just the pain of what is called runner's knee. And the solution may be as something as simple as, as rest or it may be, require something more serious like power, physical therapy, powerful drugs, or even surgery, as we mentioned. But whatever the problem, doctors and bioengineers are on it. They are working to develop treatments and programs to heal, restore, and strengthen injured athletes. And in the same way, when Christ followers, when, when we are running the race, that God has prepared for us, that he has set before us, and we suffer a spiritual injury, and we begin to backslide, we must return to our Lord for healing, for restoration. In the last three weeks on this series, we have learned that every Christ follower is like a, a runner who's running a race that requires endurance to finish the race. But we often stumble in this race. And the reason we stumble is due to sin. In fact, because of that sin, we may even begin to turn away from our Lord. This turning away from the Lord, as we learned, is called backsliding. And we learned that we are bent this way. We're bent on backsliding. But God, thankfully, in His grace, He is relentless in loving us no matter what. In fact, God loves us so much that He will help us to return to Him. And he helps us by disciplining us. Just think God loves you so much that he disciplines you. What a lovely thought that is, isn't it? So you will come to your senses and you will return back to him. That's how much God loves us. He wants us to return to him. He desires our relationship with us. And we learned last Sunday that when we return to him, God is always ready and willing and able to forgive us and welcome us back to Him. This morning, though, in this concluding message, I want us to see one last truth for grace for getting back in the race. And it's here, coming up on the screen. If you want to take notes, you're welcome to follow along in your notes that are provided in your bulletin there. And that is, when we return to God, He not only forgives us, but He also restores us. And he restores us with his healing grace. And this healing grace comes in and through Jesus Christ. Now in the context of the book of Hosea as a whole, and specifically in the 
chapter 14 of Hosea here, this promise of healing, this promise of restoration is specific to God's people. And we've learned a little bit that God's people are the children of Israel, sometimes known as the nation of Israel. In fact, this this promise of restoration will ultimately be fulfilled during the millennial reign of Christ on earth. And, And it's a great reminder for us here that there's a future for Israel. But what I want us to focus on is the application of this for us today. What does this mean? How does God's healing grace apply to our lives here today? What does it mean for us? And to help us apply God's healing grace, we're going to focus on God's promise here, specifically in verse 4 of Hosea chapter 14, where he says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from me. This word heal, is, it's a word that is full of mercy. And according to Lamentations 3.22-23, through 23, those mercies are new every morning and never fail. And in verse 4 here, God restores us, as we're going to see in application here of this verse, He restores us with the grace of sanctification, with the grace of adoption, and with the grace of justification. Now, I know those are three big words, theological words, and we don't have time to delve into the whole meaning and scope of each of those words, but just kind of hit them with an overview of what they mean and how they apply to our lives here today. Now, perhaps you're thinking, yeah, how does this apply to my life? Because I'm already adopted, and I'm already justified as a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, to be sure, those who are already believers in Christ, listen, we don't need to, quote, get saved again when we backslide from the Lord. But we do need a renewed experience of these graces in our hearts. That's why returning to the Lord may sometimes, even oftentimes, feel like you're getting saved all over again. It's because you're coming to the Lord again and you're experiencing His grace again, His redeeming grace, His healing grace, His restorative grace. So let's look at these three points here. Number one, when we return to the Lord, we receive from Him sanctifying grace. We receive sanctifying grace from God. In the first part of verse 4, God tells His people, I will heal their backsliding. How wonderful is the I will of this promise from God. God promises to heal us of our backsliding, and we know from the rest of Scripture that God is able to do whatever He promises. And in this case, He promises to heal us of our backsliding. Now, what is the healing grace of sanctification? Well, notice it here in your notes. Sanctification is the process by which God faithfully works upon our lives from within and without to do one thing, to conform us more and more into the image of His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let's be honest here for a moment. We struggle with our wicked hearts. We struggle trying to bend them back toward God. And and in doing so, we even discover that our hearts are yet desperately deceitful, according to Jeremiah 17.9. And so it's no wonder that when we attempt to come back to God, we come to Him saying, I cannot. 
But he replies, I will. And he follows through by working within us the healing grace of sanctification. And yet, and yet, folks, listen, we must not rest on this promise of God while resting comfortably in our sin. Instead, rest on this promise of healing while you strive to repent of your sin and long for restoration. God tells us in Jeremiah 3.22, return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. And the children of Israel reply back, indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. I will heal their backsliding is a promise of victory to the one who repents and returns to the Lord, not to the one who continues to backslide from God in their sin. God will heal the backsliding of those who seek Him, those who believe in Him, those who return to Him. So cling to this promise of sanctifying grace. But here's our problem when it comes to God's sanctifying grace. Sometimes we just don't fully understand how much we really need Jesus, do we? How we need Christ for everything in the Christian life to run the race that God has set before us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.30. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, One author wrote that backsliding is sometimes caused by our failure to make use of Christ continually unto sanctification. And as a result, sanctification becomes a more of a natural work that we try to do. In other words, our natural human work will never produce Christ-likeness. Only God's supernatural work in Christ will do that in us and through us. And this is why every day, if I can say it this way, must be a, quote, gospel day. A day to come to Christ again for more undeserved grace for the race. God promises, I will heal their backsliding. And the result of this healing is found later on in verse 8 when Ephraim says, What have I to do anymore with idols? We've already learned a little bit about idols in this series. You may remember that their problem, that is the children of Israel's problem, is is the same as our problem. We're really no different than God's people back in Hosea's day. Idolatry is the source of our problem. It's the core of our problem. And of course, Israel's favorite God substitute was Bel, the local god of fertility. And, oh, I know that none of you make sacrifices to an idol or statue today. I realize that any of us, none of us, have a little statue that we have on our fireplace mantle or on our dresser. But that's not the essence of idolatry. Remember, the essence of idolatry is living with something or someone at the center of your life other than God himself. But the result of God's sanctifying grace is that we we turn away from these God substitutes, these false gods, and we turn back to the true God. And he continues the process then of conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, instead of us being conformed to the image of our false gods. How glorious are God's words. 
I will heal their backsliding. And we know we are being healed when, like the Israelites, we say, what have I to do anymore with idols? In other words, God's sanctifying grace heals us of our turning away from Him. As Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2, 24-25, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So how does God restore us when we return to Him? We receive grace sanctifying grace, grace that conforms us and makes us more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Second of all, we receive adopting grace from God. We receive adopting grace. God says in the middle part of verse 4, I will love them freely. Now, throughout the Bible, and certainly in the book of Hosea here, God's love for His people is portrayed in two ways. Is first of all portrayed like a father loves his son. And then in the book of Hosea, the second way God's love is portrayed is like a husband loves his wife. In fact, the prophet Hosea, in the beginning of the book, uh, and throughout especially the first three chapters of the book, was a living image of God's love in his redemption of his unfaithful wife, Gomer. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, God commands Hosea to marry a prostitute. That's what Gomer was, his wife. And he commands Hosea to marry a prostitute as a, a living example, as a living illustration of the marriage between the Lord and his people, the children of Israel here. Now, question, who on earth marries a prostitute? Well, some of you are old enough to remember that apparently Richard Gere does when he rescues Julia Roberts at the end of Pretty Woman. Have you ever seen the movie, Pretty Woman? How many have seen the movie? Am I aging myself? Yes. I mean, come on. Who's going to pay for a call girl and fall in love with her and stay with her forever? I'll tell you who. In this application, here in Hosea, it's God. You can read about it in Hosea chapters 1 through 3. So why would God love us like this? Because you are the Lord's bride. He loves you with all his heart. He has eyes for no one else, even though you've done nothing to deserve such love. Even though you've been, as Hosea would describe it, as an adulterer, as a whore like Gomer. But the Lord, knowing that you will find a hundred ways to tarnish the relationship, marries you anyway, and he does so with a smile on his face and with joy in his heart. Why? Because God loves us like a husband loves his bride. But it goes on in the book of Hosea. God also loves us like a father loves his son. We saw this in the second part of this series in Hosea 11, verse 1, when God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. In verse 3, God was like a father, and he was teaching his son to walk, holding up the toddler so he would not fall. And then in verse 4, God declares, I drew them, speaking of the children of Israel, like a son, I drew them gentle cords and with bands of love. 
And this great love is what makes it impossible for God to, to give up his rebellious, adulterous people when he asks them in verse 8, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I just hand you over, Israel? And of course, the rhetorical answer or question to the answer is, he can't. He loves us too much. He loves us relentlessly. He loves us like a husband loves a bride and a father loves his son. Now, it might seem somewhat confusing to see God's love described by Hosea both in terms of a husband's love for his bride and a father's love for his child. So, so which is it? Well, it's both. Let me explain why. We are the children of God the Father, but we are also the bride of Christ the Son. And so when God the Son takes His people as His wife, God the Father then looks upon His Son's bride and says, Welcome, my child. Welcome to my family. In other words, our marriage union with Jesus Christ guarantees our reception into the household of his father. This is all the result of God's grace of adoption. What is God's healing grace of adoption? Look at it in your notes here. In adoption, it's where God takes us into his family to love us freely with nothing in his heart but tender compassions. How many of you have a child who plays an instrument in elementary band? Anybody? All right, a few of you. My wife and I, we had a child that played an instrument in elementary band. He played the viola. How many of you had a child who played? Anybody, you know, it's past tense for you. Okay, there's a little more of you. What I learned from my own child is that no one in their right mind goes to fifth grade band concerts because they love the quality of the music being played. And you certainly do not go to fifth grade band concerts to see all the other kids playing their instrument. You go to see one kid and one kid only. And that's who? Your kid. Absolutely. And why do you go to endure such sounds as, you, as you've never heard before? There's only one reason you go to endure those sounds at a fifth grade band concert. You love your child freely. And if you, being evil, as Jesus describes us in Matthew, can love your sinful, sometimes downright rebellious kids, how much more does your Heavenly Father love you? Listen, if you are a Christian here this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are God's child. You are his beloved son or daughter. You are part of his eternal family. And since you did nothing to achieve it or acquire that sonship or daughtership in the first place, then that means you can never unearn it or unacquire it later. Why? You are God's kid. He loves you and he will love you forever. This, the experience of this adoption. Listen, it fills the soul with joy. It gives us great comfort. It gives us confidence to return to the Lord, knowing that He always welcomes us back home with open arms. In fact, this healing grace of adoption, it, it, what the Apostle Paul calls 
the spirit of adoption, testifies with our own spirits that we are truly God's son or daughter. Look what Paul writes in Romans 8, 15 and 16. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Oh, may God fill you and heal you with the spirit of adoption, knowing that he loves you freely. And I love what the Apostle John writes in 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. The implication of this healing grace is that you are God's child forever. Return to him then. We not only receive sanctifying grace and adopting grace when we return to the Lord, but we also receive justifying grace from God when we return to him. One small word in the last part of verse 4 tells us a great deal. Look at it with me. Last part of verse 4 says, For my anger has turned away from me. The word for implies that the previous blessings of sanctification and adoption rest upon this grace. What this means is that God will heal our backsliding through sanctification and love us freely through adoption only when his righteous anger has been turned away. Because the demands of his righteousness have been satisfied. In other words, until the problem of our guilt and our sin before God is settled, there can be no peace between us and God. Now, that's bad news. But the good news is, God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love for us, has provided a resolution to the problem of our guilt and our sin. We can be thankful for that. And it's called the propitiation of Jesus Christ. We looked at this word a little bit last Sunday. What is propitiation? Well, a propitiation is a sacrifice. But it's not just any kind of sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that changes God's wrath into his love. And it's Christ's sacrifice on the cross that turns the wrath of God away from you so that we can now know the love of God toward you. And when this work that Christ has done on the cross is then applied to our lives by faith at the moment of salvation, we are then justified by God. Now, what does that mean to be justified by God? What is this healing grace of justification? We'll look at it in your notes. Justification is the act of God's sovereign grace, whereby he imputes to the sinner the righteousness of Christ, pardons him of all sin, clears him of all guilt, frees him of all punishment, and gives him a right to eternal life on the sole basis of Christ's perfect obedience and full satisfaction rendered at the cross. Whoa, blow me away. Now, 
I realize that's one big, long definition that you may or may not fully understand here this morning. And that's okay. Here's, here's what I hope you leave here with. Here's what I hope you do understand. Although our justification in Christ is a legal, instantaneous, complete act by God that can never be changed, listen, our assurance of justification can and does vary. Here's what I mean by that. God, God himself may be at peace with us, fully satisfied with Christ's work on the cross, but we, we might not live with that assurance. We might not live with the assurance of that peace due to our backsliding from God in living in sin. This is the fallout, oftentimes, of backsliding from God and living in sin. And the fallout is this. We may lose our assurance of our justification or our salvation, in other words, even though we cannot lose the reality of our justification. You ever wonder why? After living in sin for a season, whether that season is a day, a week, a month, a year, five years, ten years, or twenty years. You ever wonder why after living in sin for a season, you don't feel like you're saved, like you're a Christian, like you're a Christ follower. You don't have any assurance of your salvation. And in fact, you may even begin to doubt your salvation. Well, this is why. Right here. Listen, it is hard to feel saved while still living in sin for a season of time. This is why Peter calls us to grow, to grow in our relationship with Christ. And he uses words like grow in our faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, and kindness, and love. And then he warns us in 2 Peter 1, 9, for whoever lacks these things, qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind listen having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins here's the point this should motivate us this should compel us to avoid backsliding and living in sin this should motivate us that when we do stumble in sin to return to the Lord as quickly as possible, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his grace. How precious is our assurance of peace with God. And we should guard our conscience by living godly lives, waging war against our inward sins and living near to God. And again, this is why you might feel such deadness in your heart when you backslide. For you have forfeited your assurance of peace with God by cherishing sin over cherishing the Lord. True. Your works do not save you. But your assurance of salvation, your assurance of justification is connected to our faithfulness in following Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 2-3 says it this way, he is, speaking of Jesus, the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if 
we keep his commandments. In other words, we know that we are justified. We know that we have peace with God, that we've been reconciled with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. We know that we know Christ as our Savior and Lord if we follow Christ and keep his commandments. But persistent backsliding puts a cloud over that sun, and it leaves us in the shadows doubting our relationship with God. This is one reason why we must follow the Lord's pattern of prayer in Matthew 6 and pray, forgive us our debts. The Apostle John understood this well, and he addressed our need for assurance when he wrote in 1 John 1, 7-9, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, well, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In other words, Jesus Christ is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the benefit, this is the beauty and the glory of confessing our sins to God and renewing our dependence upon Christ's all-sufficient sacrifice. God not only forgives us our sins, but he cleanses us from our unrighteousness. But we also renew and we strengthen the assurance of our justification and salvation in Christ. Boy, do, do you wish sometimes that you could just boldly say with assurance, with full assurance, with confidence, that I am righteous in Christ. I am a child of God. And I am an heir of eternal life. Man, if you wish you could, then return to the Lord and embrace his forgiveness of sin and hear him say to you, I will heal your backsliding. I will love you freely for my anger has turned away from you. God will welcome you home. He will restore you with his healing grace. He will wrap you in his righteousness. He will assure you that you are truly his son or his daughter. Oh, how our God has such an abundance of grace to heal his wounded people. Listen, in Christ, and only in Christ, we are reconciled with God and filled with peace that surpasses all understanding. The filthy garments of our sin are stripped away, and we are wrapped in the robe of Christ's righteousness. We have confidence to say with Paul, I know whom I have believed. We have confidence to say with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. We can apply to ourselves what Christ promises in Isaiah 61.3 and say, I have received beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for heaviness, that I might be called a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Listen, when God gives us justification, adoption, and sanctification, boy, we have more than enough to be thankful for, don't we? And so let us come to him, let us thank him, and cherish his grace with all our hearts. And let us be zealous to guard this great treasure of God's grace by running the race with endurance. And when we do stumble in sin, when we do backslide, then let us be quick to confess our sin and return to the Lord again for his healing grace. Now I love how the prophet here, the prophet Hosea, concludes this whole book. 
he concludes with a challenge to the children of Israel. And by application, he concludes with a challenge to us here even today. That challenge is found in the last verse of the whole book. Chapter 14, verse 9, look what it says. I want to read it to you out of the New English translation. It says, who is wise? Let him discern these things. Who is discerning? Let him understand them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The godly walk in them, but in them the rebellious stumble. This challenge brings us to our final response to God's grace. Will you choose the path of restoration or the pit of destruction? What God is doing here is offering his wisdom to us. And the question is, will we receive it or will we despise it? Will we be wise or will we be foolish? If we receive it, then we will find the path of healing that leads to our restoration. But if we despise God's advice here, then we will stumble and fall to our doom. Moses issued basically the very same challenge in the book of Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, when he says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And then Moses says, Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Oh, how we need the Lord, amen? Why? For the Lord is our life. I want to close with this video here. I want you to watch it, and then when the video is over, we'll go into our response time. A video entitled, Lord, I need you, and oh, how we need the Lord.